Good morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm your host, Brad Furlan, uh, here at WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, a little bit of a cooler morning than the weekend. Mud up in Franklin County on our farm. Uh, a lot of floor washing with the dogs going in and out and, uh, our sheep, well, they just stay to the barn mostly and, uh, right now they don't, uh, we don't pasture them too much, a little bit, but, um, not too much. They finished about their fourth Christmas tree for eating. Our sheep love Christmas trees. Uh, so that's, uh, their winter treat, although they keep going, wow, that was a short period of time. Christmas came again and again, but all our neighbors bring their Christmas trees and, um, put them on our, put them on our lawn and, uh, they become good feed for the sheep. We've got a great show this morning. We're going to be talking with, uh, uh, the Vermont National Guard, a couple different areas of expertise and training that they do here in Vermont. Uh, with, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Beams, who's, uh, the commander of the Army Mountain Warfare School. And then, uh, Sergeant First Class Corey Orfont is the Information Operations Battalion, where, uh, just, you know, this world of misinformation, they get to, uh, learn how to sift through that and, um, keep us all safer with that. In the second uh, half of our show today, Christina Stikos is coming in. She is a Vermont music producer, recording engineer, songwriter, musician, radio host, podcaster, and author. I love my guests who have so many hats. Uh, we try to squeeze an hour in, and uh, Christina and I are just going to, we're going to wander around the world and uh, see where it takes us, so... Uh, if you want to join our uh, show this morning, give us a call, 802-244-1777, and look forward to talking with you as well. We can't do radio without our listeners. So I want to welcome to the show uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Beams and Sergeant First Class Corey Orfont. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great having you. Uh, I want to start with you, Lieutenant Colonel Beams. Um, you were telling me off air you're a native Vermonter. and uh, Yeah, uh, born and raised here in Vermont in uh, West Topsom, Vermont, uh, East Orange. Graduated at Spalding High School in 2001 uh, and joined uh, Vermont National Guard in 2000, uh, April 2000. So coming up on my 24th year of service uh, uh, on here at Vermont National Guard. So. And was that a right out of high school kind of thing? Or? Uh, I actually joined it, uh, my junior in high school. Uh, so I did what they call the um, OSUT. So after my junior high school, I uh, went to basic training in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, I was still 17, so my mom had to sign off on uh, me becoming a service member. Um, graduated basic training my 18th birthday and went back to Spalding for my senior year, uh, graduated, uh, and then went back to Fort Knox for my what they call individual training. Uh, at the time, it was... Uh, armor crewmen, so tanks back in, uh, back when Vermont still had the, the M1 Abrams here in Vermont. I was an armored crewman in up Bradford. Hmm. And the process is you, you take sort of a qualifying test, right? To begin with? Yeah, it's called the ASVAB. Uh, it's just a, a, a general aptitude test to just check your, um, overall aptitude, writing, uh, reading. They take, uh, you know, automotive, electrical, just a general baseline skill set. Uh, and that really helps the military narrow down, uh, your prerequisites for what you might be qualified for, best suited for, for service. 
And what was your attraction to service? Had you was there anybody in the family, or is this a tradition? Uh, I had I had a couple cousins that were in the Marines. Um, I uh, had a couple uncles that were prior uh, military. Uh, really, the the linchpin that that drove me to to join in the guard was uh, really a mechanism to help pay for college. Uh, college was an aspiration I had, and I knew without uh, some monetary support, uh, it would be uh, would really be difficult to afford a four year degree. So I used the guard as a as a conduit to help pay for uh, my higher education, and, and uh, uh, now I'm debt free. I owe no money to college. Uh, paid off all my loans. I had a full scholarship my last two years, and. Uh, turned out to be one of the best things or the best thing I could ever have done professionally and personally, I think. It is remarkable. And you had that brief conversation with your mom. Uh, I, I want to join the uh, <laughs> join the military. And she said, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I lost my dad when I was 12. Um, so really my mom was, uh, you know, the, the main support figure for my brother and I was we were growing up. And, you know, sports was a great conduit to – uh, you know, mature, develop, uh, you know, learn some life skills. So I think when I presented the, the military as an option, um, it wasn't going active duty. Um, it was still uh, an opportunity to better myself, travel the world, experience different things, um, and then help, you know, release some of that financial burden for, uh, for college. And, uh, I know she was nervous, but, um, she did what, uh, she thought was the best decision for myself and what I was asking for. So. Yeah, it sounds great. And I'm sorry about your dad loss. It's part of life, unfortunately, sometimes, but yeah. we've done better out of it. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. Uh, so, uh, S- S- Sergeant Orfond, uh, what was your journey into this venture? Yeah, so I'm not originally from Vermont. I'm from the Mount Washington Valley area in New Hampshire. Uh, born and raised there, and actually started out with the New Hampshire Army National Guard. Um, end up coming out here uh, just under a decade ago uh, for work and end up transferring to the Vermont Army National Guard and landed here. So uh, the Mount Washington area is beautiful, mountainy, rural. Were you a, a outdoors person um, growing oh, ab- up? Absolutely. I, I mean, you look at the uh, mountains, lakes, rivers we have access to, uh, it was a great and beautiful place to grow up. Uh, so coming on out here was a pretty easy transition to make with that similar type of landscape, four seasons. Yeah, for sure. I've climbed Mount Washington, and uh, it's it has to be one of the most respected mountains in the whole United States because it's taken a lot of victims. <laughs> Uh, you gotta be careful up there. Uh, so, um, now transferring when you were in New Hampshire, did you sort of want something in Vermont and you just, you, you say, hey, I want to head for Vermont and go through the paperwork and that can happen? Yeah, so I transferred out here a while back, uh, to take a job as an officer with the Burlington Police Department. Um, after a little bit of time out here, started learning more about the Vermont Guard. I got picked up by them, and I was actually recruited uh, by one of the full-time staff at the schoolhouse when they found what my background in the military was, and that's how I ended up as an instructor here. Nice, nice. So, um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Beams, the um, you are the commander of the Army Mountain Warfare School. Can you just give us a little background on, on what that is? Uh, so, <clears throat> Squaws was founded back in 1983, so we just celebrated our 40th uh, anniversary. 
uh, really what the school's built upon is increasing um, skill set on understanding terrain and how to move efficiently within that terrain using some basic uh, ropes and carabiners and some hardware. Uh, and we teach a technical course um, about how to use those uh, carabiners, ropes, harnesses to build uh, simple systems to help increase mobility for a larger entity. So if you're a part of a group of uh, 12 to 30, um, how can you build um, using some ropes and carabiners, how can you build a system to help increase their uh, mobility through that train uh, to move more efficiently and safely? So, so are you your engineers in a way? Is uh, that, or I would say the engineers, but it's it's understanding um, the environment you're operating in, um, whether it be uh, cold, mountains, uh, what the train looks like, uh, wind. So taking in the environment and then understanding how to move efficiently through that terrain um, with some basic systems and building confidence with your own abilities. So it's a two-week course. We run uh, just about 10 courses a year generally, um, 10 courses, 64 students from around the world. Uh, we teach uh, active duty, special forces, rangers, uh, foreign military, um, soldiers, uh, service members stationed in Hawaii, Italy, Alaska. Uh, so we, we get... Um, while the Army has that, that wants to come and learn this skill set for two weeks, and we teach them uh, once a month we run a course. And this involves all season? Yes, sir. So we teach uh, the same application of the, the baseline knowledge, whether it's uh, in the winter snow and ice or in the summertime here in Vermont. So same lessons apply, um, just the equipment you're going to use may change out and, and become a little more variable. And is, does it also uh, – it are you – teaching people how to actually survive in, if it's zero degrees, try, trying to build something? Uh, we do, do teach, um, not really say survival skill set, but um, confidence in the equipment. So the Army it provides service members their uh, the equipment, boots, gloves, um, jackets, layers to, to be able to operate in these conditions, whether it's zero degrees or in the summertime. But for the wintertime, it's how do you use those, uh, how do you use what the Army equipment they provided for you, how do you use that to gain confidence and survive if you needed to, and then have basic shelter building, um, snowpack, how can you make a snow cave, uh, pine boughs. So some very basic skills on how to um, survive if you needed to in, in those harsh conditions. And are these also, uh, are these military personnel, are they actually potentially in combat as well, or are they strictly trying to create pathways <laughs> Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I think now we've seen the um, uh, war in Af- Afghanistan uh, end. Um, the the focus of the training is kind of transitioning back to um, uh, personal based, uh, building you know a knowledge base for uh, development professionally and personally, and then enhancing a units training program. Uh, back in the height of Afghanistan, we were seeing a lot of specialized units requesting our training to. Uh, become more efficient to operate in those uh, higher altitudes in Afghanistan. So we, we did see a lot of Rangers, Special Forces uh, requests to come through and uh, gain some more expertise to and increase their mobility to be uh, survival, um, both survive and operate in those uh, high altitude um, environments. Well, it's quite quite impressive. We're talking this morning with Lieutenant Kersel. Colonel Jason Beams and Sergeant First Class Corey Orfont, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Beams is involved with the Army Mountain Warfare School, which we're talking about now, and uh, we'll be getting a little bit more into information operations, which is really one of these global challenges that uh, we're faced with today where 
There's a lot of misinformation out there, and in other segments of this show, you've heard with AARP segments where, um, you know, deception and uh, money uh, scams are are just so prevalent that uh, we just have to be aware. And uh, Sergeant First Class Orfont is uh, teaches this, and uh, and this is something that happens globally in terms of uh, protecting. Um, all of us. Uh, so I'm going to return back. Lieutenant Colonel Beams, the the Army Mountain Warfare School is really has a significance of being the place for this training in in the whole world, essentially. We are, yeah. So we are the uh, the Army's uh, what we they call executive agent or the uh, subject matter experts on military mountaineering. So from the technical aspect, <clears throat> our our instructors are a cadre. Uh, we're one of one. We're the Army Schoolhouse, uh, tucked away here in Jericho, Vermont. We teach, uh, active duty, uh, special forces, rangers, uh, national guardsmen, um, air force, uh, foreign military. So we're the, the U.S. representation for military mountaineering, uh, and as part of a, a, a global international, uh, school system. Uh, we work with our other sister, uh, Schoolhouses and you know across the world, uh, South America, Europe. Uh, we're part of what they call International Association of Military Mountaineer Schools. Uh, so we represent the United States on that platform to really come together and share practices, uh, best practices, ideas. Um, make sure we're teaching similar things or applications. Um, we're not we're not deviating from what the international community is teaching from a, a basic military mountaineering premise. So I can understand how you can teach. Navigating cold weather, uh, you know, we've got the mountains in Vermont. We've got the, we have water, bodies of water. We have all of that. How do you, how do you teach desert sand and, you know, those types of things? Uh, we, we don't get a whole lot into desert sand, uh, so to speak, but more, um, mountainous high altitude, um, more those austere, uh, conditions with, um, elevation gain, um, and relief of, of where that micro train may be or, or just, uh, more difficult mountains. We don't really teach, you know, uh, how to summit Mount Everest, but how can you operate, say, in the, in Mount Washington area or, uh, here in Vermont, where you have a lot of, uh, train of relief, uh, smaller mountain peaks, but how can you navigate through those, um, those conditions uh, efficiently and safely um, to get where you need to go. And then uh, if you were to take a casualty or have somebody hurt or injured, how would you evacuate them back to a location where they could get higher care? And are, are personnel who are involved in this mission, are they carrying gigantic packs and lots of equipment? Uh, we try not to do that. We, we teach a class on load management. Um, so really being efficient with what you're packing, um, make sure what you're packing serves more than one purpose. Uh, make sure you're packing your load appropriately, and then you're planning on a resupply of, of where you need your next resupply of what that may be, food or water uh, or equipment. So uh, we, we teach uh, the premise of uh, being efficient and as light as possible to move um, as safely and as smoothly as you can. And so I understand it correctly, it's you're providing um, pathways to get from one place to another, essentially, through very rugged terrain. Yes, sir. So we uh, we teach that, that skill set to, uh, you know, if you had to move up through a steep terrain with uh, some timber, um, and uh, you had to, you're going to build a, a simple fixed rope system, which is just essentially a handrail that your following unit um, soldiers could use to, to guide them up that, um, up that terrain with a, a light load on their pack. 
um, how to use uh, some equipment to move on that fixed rope system to get to the the point uh, position of advantage, i.e. the top of the hill or top of that mountain. Um, so that fixed rope system would enhance their ability to move safely um, and efficiently to, to maximize time uh, to get to where their their objective was. And is this considered an advanced team? I mean, are you creating a pathway and then others follow? Uh, so the the skill set is uh, individual based. Um, the idea is they they take that skill set and they go back to their unit, wherever it may be, and they can they can apply those skills that they learn in our course to their unit's training program. So uh, whether you go back and you're infantryman, um, an engineer, uh, reconnaissance, whatever that your your formation or your your specialty skill set is, you can go back to your unit and then use the skill sets that we we taught you uh, to increase your training uh, platform. So. Uh, that's a basic course, and then the the following pathway would be more the advanced climbing techniques. So we, we teach a level two uh, military mountaineer, which is another two week course, and we teach that again in the summer and winter. And that's your lead climbing. That's your your you're the the more advising for the commander, um, assessing conditions, assessing risk, uh, route planning, and then you would be the that that skill set would be able to go forward and. Um, lead climb up a, a vertical face um, to gain that advantage to uh, to build a more complex system for your your fallen basic soldiers to move on. So ice and snow and mud and you name it, everything. It's uh, this isn't for everyone, is it? Uh, no, sir. <laughs> Definitely, uh, you have to be an outdoor enthusiast, I think, to to embrace it because you know we train in all climate conditions, no matter what it is. Uh, so it's uh, the, you know the last course we just had when it, when it was zero degrees out, um, we're outside, we're training um, in those conditions. So we might get soldiers from Fort Hood, Texas, that, that have never been to the cold, um, and the army says you're you're going to Vermont in January to to learn uh, learn basic military right here. And, uh, and, and really, it's it's taking those those students that may have never experienced cold and snow, and then you you, you build them up and, and build confidence in what they're teaching, what they're learning, um, and then uh, they come up better for it. So you go. We have some good news and some bad news. There aren't going to be rattlesnakes, <laughs> <That's> true, <yeah. laughs> but it might be a little chilly. Yeah, we'll give you everything you need to to be uh, comfortably cool uh, and operate. So yeah. So as you know, Vermont hikers, we know that. Um, layering and everything is so important just the basic fundamental of what you wear and how you proceed is yeah uh we, we teach layering um baseline for how to get dressed uh you know loose uh light clothing um building pockets of air between your body and the, the environment um and then uh really in the cold is just not to sweat so you know work smart uh, and efficiently not to overexert yourself to your, your perspirating and uh creating moisture to your body because that's that could be detrimental um regardless of uh, how remote you are or nearby um so we teach those basics of of being light um you know packing efficiently layering uh and then understanding how your body is going to adjust and um respond to those environments because everybody has a different uh, threshold for how and how cold they get and uh, how much how many layers of clothing they need so uh, we just we teach the uh, understand your body how it's going to respond and then uh, dress and layer appropriately and then um, when adverse things happen uh, you fall through the ice you you get hypothermia or the beginnings of that are, are you training them for that those incidences we do teach a, a basic um uh package for how to give uh, basic aid um if you were to uh come across somebody that needed care um how are you going to package them and prepare them to be moved to a, a 
a better position or a better location to be extracted to higher care. So we do teach a, a basic uh, medicine or basic uh, understanding of colon injuries, high altitude sickness, uh, um, uh, dehydration, and then how do you how do you provide care for those uh, individuals if you already come across them? And also, are they are are you training to build? Um shelters and stuff as they travel or not so much? Uh, not so much with the two weeks. It's such a, a short window of time. We, we really do a, a abrupt rush stroke of a, a myriad of topics, but it, it, uh, not a whole lot of survivor uh, skill sets on building structures or infrastructure, but how to how to just understand your body and use the equipment you have been issued um, to maximize your, your position of advantage. And how many are on a team working on creating these pathways for... Uh, so our instructors, uh, we have um, roughly 20, uh, 22 to 24 instructors, both traditional M-Day, and we have about 13 full-time instructors that teach the school their full-time active duty. So um, they uh, they live and breathe uh, military mountaineering and enhancing their skill set, but um, it's a it's a big load, a uh, big lift for, for what we teach, uh, and the amount of time and energy it goes into to being experts of the craft to, to further develop. Yeah, um, and then this applies when when somebody's in a unit, they train others so that um, everybody is able to mobilize and get through a terrain that's very difficult. Yeah, uh, so the Army, I mean, they're all different um, structures of how um, how they're built, but generally one one soldier uh, can probably train, uh, the idea is go back to train their platoon, so roughly between 20 and 40 soldiers they can go back and help incorporate the training they learned from our school into that deputy's training mission. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, I want to return in your, um, in your real life experience. Um, obviously you, you learned, um, this and you trained and stuff. What was the most challenging, uh, sort of experience you had out in the real world, um, trying to, Create a uh, you know create what you do. I guess uh, I'm trying to think of the most challenging life experience where I've had to apply the skills I learned from the, the school. Uh, I went to the school in 2008. Um, I would say probably uh, probably two different two different times it was uh, applying the skills uh, from our winter phase that we teach. Uh, I was um, at the time, I was a training officer at the moment for school, but we got to go down to uh, Chile um, and do a three course with the Chilean um, army. They, they hosted the U.S. soldiers, uh, soldiers come down to do a three course, and uh, just applying and, and brushing out those skill sets to you know to build a build a three person snow cave, uh, operate in the snow, uh, stayed out there, uh, skied. So that was after a, a very large coastal storm that that dumped a lot of snow on them. So. Uh, it was applying the skills that I remembered from that that training and opportunity from the mountain school to to be able to put it in the application in, in the deep snow to uh, not only build our snow cave to to live in uh, melt melt snow make food but to, to help uh, train those other soldiers that, that maybe had never had that experience. We had some service members from Texas and, and New York that um, were completely outside their element, and so. Uh, using that that opportunity to, to educate um, the soldiers around us and, and to sleep the night and get through it was was definitely one. Uh, and then 
uh, operating the Arctic, uh, Vermont has a uh, relationship with the Canadian uh, military through Quebec that we do a, a two-week Arctic exercise every year. Uh, we get to go up there and experience uh, those conditions and train with them. Uh, so, uh, you know, last year got that chance to go up to Resolute Bay, uh, do go in the field for, you know, seven days operating the, in the Arctic, uh, tundra, um, and to, uh, train and, and mentor and develop the other soldiers that, that had never experienced it before was, was, uh, was also a challenge because, you know, you're, you're out, uh, in the elements, uh, there's no, uh, no relief. There's no hard sand buildings to do your tent, your team and, and the stoves that you have. So, um, just be able to, to have confidence, create a, a, a relaxed atmosphere, uh, to just embrace the environment you're in and, and uh, enjoy it. So I think those two were, were, were definitely, I would say, a check on learning to uh, understand the, the skills that uh, I've learned and, and applying those towards uh, the, the time and space we're in at that, that moment. So shelter, um, food, warmth, uh, what else? Uh, I guess the, the biggest thing is having confidence in the equipment you have, uh, and the skills you have. I think a lot of folks, um, in those positions, uh, they start second guessing themselves. Um, they start, uh, questioning the equipment they have or overanalyzing things. So I think just being calm and collective, uh, understanding what you have, having confidence in your own abilities. Uh, and remember to just feed your body the things it does, it needs is rest, food, and, and water. Uh, if you do those three things and keep yourself comfortably cool um you're not always gonna be overly warm but do those three things and have confidence just have a, a calm and collective mind you'll usually come out on top dangerous animals is that part of your training or not? uh not so much i think just kind of being aware of the environment you're in and what what could be a threat uh to you and then um how to minimize that threat and and uh, sometimes it, it, you know in the arctic you you have to minimize the threat for polar bears and um it includes who's got the who's got the <laughs> the 308 and the, and the ammo yeah yeah wow very amazing. Uh, so, Sergeant First Class Corey Orfont, you, you're uh, sort of in the same world um, in in the in the Army Guard, but you, it's really about um, this is more about information operations. Battalion is what you're under. Can you tell us a little bit of, about what 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 you do with that? Yeah. So, this is a planner's course. Uh, it's two weeks long. Uh, we teach everyone from National Guard Bureau, Reserves, Active Component, Special Operations, uh, you name it. And uh, we can teach basically to anyone, anywhere. We have online opportunities where we'll use platforms like Teams and Blackboard. Uh, and we teach every month. It's a two-week class. Uh, we've taught people while they were over in Europe Um and they're taking class at the same time as people over here in the United States. So what we actually do now, when you look at operations right now, military operations, we need to have uh, concern with you know, multi-domain threats. And what we teach is how to uh, synchronize a whole bunch of different assets, from cyber assets to electronic warfare to psychological operations to uh, military deception, and how to put that into a uh, planning process. And it's uh, so you you are gathering all this information that comes in and, and then sifting through it. Is that right to to figure out what's actually true or what's not true, what's being used as deception? So that's certainly a component of it, right? Understanding 
what we're viewing and trying to perceive where it's coming from and why. Um, trying to do that target audience analysis. Is this information meant for us? Is it meant for somebody else? Um, and, you know, what is a potential adversary trying to do with that as a small component of it? And so this is requires having a real um, computer aptitude to to what what's sort of the format that you're constantly studying so we can teach in a number of different ways, right? So we can teach solely online. Um, you know, again, we're teaching a course a month right now. Uh, we can go and teach in person, um, probably a little less computers involved. Um, but we can also help international partners as well. Um, Vermont is part of the state partnership program. Uh, we're with National Guard Bureau. Each state partners with additional countries around the world. Uh, with Vermont, our partners right now are Austria, Macedonia, and Senegal, and we can even have involvement there in speaking with them about their I.O. programs. So that I understand it, it it's – what would be an example of information that's coming in that, that is um, harmful or, or you're trying to alert people to look for? Are there examples of that? So – you know, looking at enemy psychological operations, uh, trying to affect um, whether it's uh, civilians, host nation populations, U.S. troops, um, just being aware of how they're trying to feed that information to us, uh, what avenues they're taking, and what that intended end result may be, uh, so we know how to better uh, deal with uh, the potential outpour of that. So in the old days, there was a term called propaganda. Is this is this the modern day version of that? So that's certainly part of it, right? Um, understanding how to deal with not only adversarial propaganda, uh, but potentially using our own um, to help achieve you know, whatever goal your commander wants to achieve, um, whether that's trying to do something in a safer manner, um, trying to keep civilians safe, or maybe convincing adversaries not to do something they're planning on doing. Right. So uh, it's preemptive. It's a good part of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so part of it would be perhaps you're going into a, a town in, in some part of the country and you you know that it's a hostile area and you're trying to sort of sift through the threat versus the civilian base and, and then putting together some sort of uh, uh, information plan that helps you with whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're looking at a conventional military operation, putting soldiers into an area uh, where we have a mix of civilians and potential adversaries, you're absolutely going to have a number of information assets, um, whether it be uh, public affairs broadcasts or uh, cyber effects in the area, uh, trying to talk to civilians about what we're about to be doing in the area um, and maybe trying to get uh, adversaries to uh, not be there. So it's a tricky business, though, I imagine, because there are many of our military areas have a real censorship of communication, right? Absolutely. So how do you overcome that? Um, it's difficult, right? Um, the way that we get information through is really everywhere. Um, it's, I think, difficult to look at the news and not see a time where uh, people's information is being hacked. 
or you hear about um, one of these global conflicts and systems are being uh, jammed or compromised, uh, and it, it is uh, really a difficult new fight that everyone is trying to um, do safer right. globally here. Sergeant uh, Orphan, I want to return to you. You know, in we we all read the news, we we hear things, and you know, obviously, um, you, Ukraine is sort of at the top of the food chain right now in terms of concern, and uh, you know, a, a global, you know, part of this global conflict we have. So. Is part of it getting information to Ukraine villages? Are you are you that involved, or are you're not quite in? You, I don't think you're in Ukraine, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. So we're not specifically in Ukraine. Um, there is a the United States is providing to Ukraine. Um, that's certainly at some levels a little higher than what we're doing right here. Right, right, yeah. Uh, surrounding countries, though, you you may be in and and yes. sort of mobilizing and, and helping with messaging. Yeah. So when we're looking at messaging, I mean, a lot of what we're seeing in Ukraine right now is um, validation, I guess, of this modern multi-domain theater we're now in, right? And we're seeing what the effects are of cyber capabilities, um, the effects of the application of electronic warfare on the environment, um, just how a smart PR campaign can really help you or can be a big detriment if you're not using it right, um, the application of deception. Um, it's a really interesting uh, case study of, in the modern era, how this is being used right now. And what is the challenge of sort of the who do you believe? Do you do you do you have a way of um, continued communication that has a believability? I assume it must. But I mean, how, how do you how do you go? Wink, wink. This is true. <laughs> uh, right. So obviously, within the U.S. military and U.S. Army, we all have our own communication channels that we follow, that we trust, um, the way information is supposed to flow uh, through the chain of command to our units. Um, when we're getting something outside of that, that's where we need to be a little more alert, right? Um, maybe we need we need to bring in those individuals who really can look at a piece of propaganda and understand, is this fact, is this not? You know, people with a higher training like a psychological operations unit uh, being able to read through this material or watch something and try to pull a higher degree of validity out of it. So you you would be taking um in in some part information that's totally incorrect. You know it's incorrect. Somebody's selling something that's wrong and then trying to re-educate on it. Potentially, uh when we're looking at misinformation and disinformation, uh, being able to get out in front of a narrative or being able to help shape and form narratives prior to um, pieces like that coming out. And this school that, that you're part of um, teaching, same as uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Beam School, people are coming from all over for it? Yes, absolutely. Uh so, again, we have really a global reach here. Um, we've taught people 
via our online class who were in different countries on different continents. Um, at the same time, we were teaching students who were um, here in the United States. Uh, we do have instances where we will go out to other units and we will um, go train them for a couple weeks because uh, they'll host our instructors coming down helping them out. And then again, there's that state partnership as well where we uh, can do some reach out and help some of our international friends, so to speak, uh, in their development of these different I.O. programs. So, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Beam, same, same with your school. This could be a military separate from the U.S. military that you're training? We do, uh, we do see some international students that come through. Not, not many. Uh, we generally have maybe a, a, a dozen or so a year we'll, we'll see flow through. Uh, and that could be anywhere from our, our partner nations, uh, in the Northern Republic of Macedonia. Um, we had some Senegalese and we've had some other, um, kind of partnership with peace countries, you know, Sweden, Norway, um, Finland, um, European countries. Well, we'll maybe have an opportunity to send a soldier through, uh, Canada. Um, so once in a while we'll, we'll see one of those, um, foreign military soldiers come through one of our courses. Must be interesting too if you went to Finland or you go to Norway. You know, like you, you grew up on skis. They grew up on skis. They so there's sort of this uh, sharing of of bringing the level of competency up, right? Absolutely. That's where the the International Association of Military Mountaineers uh, really has its foundation. It's kind of creating that shared understanding of how um, all the respective schoolhouses from each nation um, are teaching, and then. Uh, sharing best practices and then focusing on uh, a keynote uh, of topics every year where you do an annual conference or a workshop. Um, Vermont just hosted it this past year in 2023, and then uh, we'll be in Slovenia in 2024, bringing in those uh, 18 respective schoolhouses from around the world to talk about uh, shared ideas, best practices, and then how we can be unified in what we're teaching and, and the application of it. Quite amazing. And are you booked out a long way? I mean, since, since you're the only one doing this? We do. Uh, just like the IO school, we have an annual uh, training mission that's, that's uh, dictated to us from the Army, and that's a replication of what the demand is from the force. Uh, and that, that annual, what they call our print or training mission, uh, is pretty steady from, from both schools on an annual basis. It's a annual mission set that um, we'll build our course uh, courses uh, off of and then uh, train the students to show up. And Sergeant Orphant, um, social media is just like big and somewhat out of control. Is that a, a big part of what you're paying attention to, or, or is it go way beyond that? No, it absolutely is a component of it. Um, just like all the different little entities I've mentioned, um, social media is a component of what we teach here, um, whether that is awareness of it, or how to react to it or how to implement it uh, into our own plan. Um, you know, social media is not something that we can get away from, right? Uh, information flows around the world in real time. Uh, people can see, hear, and observe what is going on across the globe as though they were there in person. Uh, so being able to use social media appropriately for whatever use we want is certainly an um, important component of what we do. So back um, in the early days, I guess I'd put it, um, ham operators were a big part of communication in the country. Is that, does that happen at all now that in terms of what you do? 
I don't think we've really spoken a lot about ham operators in the course. Um, I know they're out there. Um, I think a lot of the stuff they do is pretty interesting. Um, it can certainly be a part of the information space uh, when we're looking at how information can flow in certain areas. Um, you know, if that's the way that we can get a message somewhere, then, well, that's maybe something we need to be using. And so cell phones, though, uh, how does that play into communication? Are you able to access broad cell phone reach uh, in your messaging or, or not? Yeah, so, you know, it all depends on what you're looking to do. Um, you know, there are, are obviously ways to get into cell phones. Um, there are ways to use social media. Um, you know, the military can use it for a number of applications, uh, whether that be helping with uh, PR messages or maybe trying to get into the adversary's head a bit. Um, but yeah, the yeah, application of cell phones is something that is here and is certainly not going away in the I.O. realm. Yeah, which has proven to be sort of um, an amazing asset in, in countries that are under heavy security, right? People, everybody has a cell phone and they can say, we're going to gather someplace at 12 o'clock. And uh, so it seems part of it. Um, so we, we've been talking this morning with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Beams, who's the commander of the Army Mountain Warfare School, and uh, Sergeant Corey Orfont, who's the Information Operations Battalion. Uh, these are interesting careers that people could, uh, if if you were looking for something new and this appealed to you, they can they can contact the guard. Is that right? Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, the guards, uh, a phenomenal, op- a phenomenal opportunity for, uh, young men and women that, that may be looking for, uh, opportunities, uh, for higher education, experience, uh, adventure, uh, camaraderie. Um, some of the best friends that I've met, um, are mostly through the military and, and I've traveled the world, uh, in some amazing, uh, places, uh, all, all the train and operate and, and meet, um, people around the world. So absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming in and sharing your lives, and we appreciate your service uh, and look forward to talking more with you in, in the future about how things go. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank you for having us. Great. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont.